Let's go to God's Word this morning. Let's go to uh, the book of Romans, chapter 1. Romans, chapter 1. Last week, we looked at Psalms 11, just kind of set uh, some groundwork here this morning. And in Psalms 11, verse 3, this question was asked, if the foundations of a godly society are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And we said that we would not flee, we would not fear, we would not fret. And so I want to kind of piggyback off that this morning. And I want us to look at, probably for the next two, maybe three weeks, of why the foundations are crumbling. Okay? In other words, why are so many marriages crumbling? Why are so many families crumbling? Uh, why is our nation crumbling? And I believe we find that answer in the last half of Romans chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 1, in the last half of that chapter, the Apostle Paul is going to give us, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, three exchanges that have been made, three trades that have been made that have resulted in the mess that we're in. And so I'm going to look at one of those exchanges, one of those trades this morning and let's see that, first of all, in verses 22 and 23, and then we're going to go back up to verse 18 and read down to 24, okay? So here we go. Verse 22, here's what he says. He says, professing to be wise, they became fools. And exchange, this is the first exchange, they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and of crawling creatures. And so the reason why we are in the mess we're in in this world is because of exchange number one. We've exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for our own gods. Okay? We've exchanged gods. Now, let me kind of lay a little groundwork around this centerpiece. In verse 18, he says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. He says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. And their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. In verse 23 says, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that, the, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. So we see the main point today is simply this. And I'm going to work around this. Mankind has simply exchanged gods. Our society has changed out gods. We've changed from the glory of the incorruptible God for a corruptible little G God. Now let's 
kind of do a little Bible study this morning, and I want to go back in verse 18 and, and kind of build a foundation on this. And what we see in verse 18 is because man has exchanged gods, we see first and foremost, we see what I would call the response of God. Now look at verse 18. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So let's kind of pick out some key words in this verse. First of all, we see that word wrath. Now, people nowadays would say this, how can a loving God show wrath? How can a loving God, because the world nowadays says that God is love and he is love, but God is also holy. And because God is holy, God has to show wrath toward sin. Now, the psalmist plain, puts this out very plainly when he says in Psalms 5 and 4, he says, you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells in you. God does not take pleasure when men do wicked things. He has no pleasure in that. Because he is so holy, because he is so righteous, the only response that he can have toward ungodliness and toward unrighteousness is wrath, is anger. And the thing you've got to realize is this. He says there, and go back to verse 20, 18 again, Romans 1, 18. He says that the wrath of God, now listen to this, is revealed. Now understand this. A lot of us, when we think about God pouring out his wrath, we think about at the end of Revelation. We think about the great white throne judgment. And that is true. There's going to be a final wrath. But you got to understand something. God's judgment is being poured out right now. It's being poured out right now. See, it's Hosea, I think it is. Hosea 8 and 7 says this. For they sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. Paul says in Galatians 6, he says, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked for whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. This is what you call a present-day judgment. And I believe that what we're seeing right now in our country is that we in the United States of America, we are reaping what we have sown. The reason why people's marriages are falling apart is because they are simply reaping 
what they have sown. And you can't sow one thing and reap another thing. And so Paul says here that this is God's response to man's ungodliness and man's unrighteousness. And then you may say, well, we don't know. But he says this, mankind has a responsibility in all of this. Look what he says here. Continue on, verse 19. He says, because that which is known about God is evident within them. Notice that, it's evident within them. For God made it evident to them. He says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. And let me tell you something. What he's talking about there is the general revelation of God. God has revealed himself to this world with his general revelation. The psalm says it like this. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Do you realize that if you go to the most remote parts of the jungles of Africa today, those tribes are worshiping something. Now, how do they know that? That they should worship something? Because the heavens declare that there is a God. There's a God. Now, while God's general revelation is enough to condemn us, it's not enough to save us because that's the reason why we need to preach the gospel and tell them that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And so what we see here is that man knows there's a God but what does man do? Man says, we know there's a God, but guess what? We're not going to submit to him. We're going to be at war with God. The psalmist says in Psalms 2, 1 through 3, why are the nations so angry? And the people devise a, main, a vain thing? He says, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against who? Against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. And so what, is, what are the kings of the earth saying? They're saying, oh, we know there's a God, but guess what? We're not submitting to him. We're not following his laws, his decrees. They are at war with God. And there's not a single one of us in here that's without excuse. You know there's a God. He's put eternity in the heart of every man. You can't say, we don't know about that. We're not sure about No, you know there's a God and you know what is expected of you. But even though mankind knows there's a God, what do they do? They still rebel against him. 
Verse 21 says this, For even though they knew God, they did not honor and glorify Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So what is the two things man refused to do? They refused to give glory and honor to God. Now what does it mean to give honor to God? It means to put Him in His rightful position to put him in his rightful place in other words because he's God guess what he deserves first place in our lives see God won't settle for second place he won't settle for one B he will only be God or he will not be God at all the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Do I truly honor him as God? Or do I look at him like he is just a part of my life? The same way my job is. The same way other things are. He says, they refuse to honor him as God, and also they have become unthankful. Does that not describe our society nowadays, that we are unthankful people? See, they refuse to acknowledge that every good and perfect gift is from the Father. Everything that God has given me, every good gift, guess where it comes from? It comes from God. And so that's the reason why when people come into God's house, they come in thinking God owes them something. You know what God owes us? Death. We have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. And if we got what we, you better thank God you don't get what you deserved. I thank God I don't get what I deserved. And we think that somehow, some way, God owes us something because he didn't work something out the way we thought he should have. Let me tell you something. If you're saved today and God doesn't do anything else for you the rest of your life, that's far more than you've ever deserved. And that's the reason why you could praise and thank him because he saved your soul. He saved my soul. And so we see here, mankind, even though they know there's a God out there, what do they do? They say, we will not honor him. We will not submit to him. And they become unthankful. And so here's the root cause of, of number one, of everything that's going wrong in our society is simply this. It is idolatry. It's idolatry. Now, a lot of times when we think about idolatry, we think about, well, I don't have no statue in my house that I bow down and worship to. But that's such a narrow definition of what an idol is. See, an idol is anything or anyone that you put before God. See, he says in verse 22 and 23, professing it became to, become, to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of God, of the incorruptible God, for an image in the form of corruptible man, birds, and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. See, what you got to realize is this. When man exchanges God, they don't quit worshiping. They'll pick up something else to worship. 
And our human hearts are, fact, are, are idol factories. Humans have a, just a numerous ways that we make idols in our life. See, we will worship ourselves. We will worship a political figure. We will worship money. We will worship pleasure. We will worship fame. Why? Because our hearts are prone to always go astray and try to put God on the back burner. Now, I'm going somewhere. Just hang with me for a second, okay? See, when God brought his people out of Egypt, he gave them ten commandments. And he said this, if you would do these commandments, you'll have a blessed life. And the first one we find in Exodus 23 and 6, we all know this one. He says this, you shall have no other gods before or but me. He says, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or in earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them nor serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Notice God has wrath. He has jealousy. Why? Because he's holy. The reason why God is jealous and it's not a sin is because he deserves our Loyalty. No one else deserves loyalty except God. He says, I'm a jealous God, inflicting the punishment of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing favor to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, understand this. This, commandment number one, is the most often repeated commandment in the Bible. Commandment number one. Why? Because people are prone to break it. This is the first commandment that gives a punishment or a reward for how you obey it or disobey it. Look what he says here. He says when you disobey this commandment, when you commit idolatry, it not only affects you, it will affect your children and your children's children. Again, this is not a curse. This is a consequence. Let me give you an illustration. Parents, if you don't treat God toward your children like he is everything, it will affect your children. It affects your children. If you treat work more important than worship, it will affect not only you, it will affect your children. If you never miss a game, But you are sporadic in missing or going to church. It will affect you and your children. 
It will. It will. If you talk more about the things of the world to your kids than you do the things of God, it will affect your children and their children as well. But if you keep this commandment, it will bless you, it will bless your children, it will bless your children's children. He says to thousands way on down the line when you put God first, it has blessings not only to you, but it will also bless your children. Now, let's look at the result of people committing idolatry. Okay? And we see this in verse 24. Look what he says here about this. And, and idolatry leads to the mess we're in because he says this. Therefore, what, they, what happens? Therefore, because they've exchanged gods and they no longer worship and serve the true God and give him honor. He says, therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Notice what he says there. One translation says it like this. Therefore, God gave them up. Now, it doesn't say that God gave up. It just simply says that God gave them up. God gave them over to their own desires. Now, let me ask you a question here. Just think about this for a second. What if what's going on in our nation, in our families, is not because the devil is running rampant? What if it's because God has said, that's what they want, I'm going to give it to them. You may say, well, that's crazy. No, it's not. Actually, it's not if you ever read your Bible. When you read in Judges chapter 2, let's read this, 11 through 15, I think it is. The Bible says that the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals. Okay? And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed themselves down to them and thus they provoked the Lord to anger. That's God's wrath there. Paul talks about Romans 1. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And listen to this. And he gave them into the hands of the plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Who was it that gave them over? It wasn't the devil came in and snatched them away. It was God that gave his people over to the enemy. Why? Because they began to serve other gods. What about Judges chapter 6? 
Verse 1. The sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And what happens? And the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. Well, that Judges chapter 13, verses 1. Again, says this. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Do you understand What's going on? We are reaping what we have sown. And here's what happens. When we see that God gave them up, it's like this. He says, you know what? You want to do that? Have at it. Have at it. When I was a little kid, my granddad, he would whittle. I think that's how you say that. You get a knife and you, you know what I'm saying, you get a stick and you make carved stuff out of it. So as a five or six-year-old boy, I was like, granddad, I want to do that. And he said, and we kind of had this disagreement for a few minutes. He said, if I give this to you, you're going to cut yourself. I said, no, I'm, I, I won't cut myself. So this went back and forth, and finally, he said, all right, you want it? Have it. And it was less than five minutes, I'd cut myself. And I went and hid because I didn't want him to know I'd cut myself. But what I'm saying is this. We have got to the point where we have said, this is what we're going to do. And God says, all right, is that what you want? You can have it. You can have it. Let me ask you a question. Make a statement first. It's almost like God has said, you want to have a government without me? Have at it. You want to have a marriage without me the center of it? Try it. You want to try to do life without me, number one? Have at it. And then he comes back to this question. How do you like it now? How do you like that? How do you like a country that was built on Judeo-Christian values when we used to have the Ten Commandments hanging in the school walls. When, when I was growing up in elementary school, we used to pray before school began. And all of a sudden, we have said, don't want that. We don't want that. We, we, we don't want God, and we don't want his word. And God in his wrath, it's not that the devil is running loose. God in his wrath says, is that what you want? Have at it. And now the question is, how do you like it? How do you like your life now trying to put God down the list at four, five, and six, and seven, 
trying to just have him a part of your life, not everything, not, not the totality of your life. How do you like that now? You like it. How do you like not raising your kids in church? How do you like not making them come to church when they're young? Because you make them go to school, you make them go to practice, you make them do all these secular things, but you say, you know what, you ain't got to do that. How do you like it now? It'll get better in a few weeks when we get something on something else. But the reason why we are in such a mess is because we have tried to do everything without him, thinking we can make it and we don't need him except when we get in trouble. And Paul says here, for this reason... God gave them up. And see, he hasn't given up on them. He just says he's given them over. And why does God do that? He gives them over so that they will come to their senses and realize we can no longer do life without him. He's got to be everything in our life. He's got to be number one in everything. I've got to set aside everything else for him instead of setting aside everything else for the things of this world, thinking somehow, some way that when I sow that way, I'm going to reap good things. You're not going to reap it. You're going to reap the consequences of your decisions. And you may sit there and say, be highfalutin' and say, well, man, those people are messed up. They need to turn to God. Let me read Romans chapter 2, verse 1, what Paul says. He says to the Jews here, he says, I know as you're reading, you're saying, man, Paul, get those guys. Those guys are terrible. He says, how about you? You have no excuse. Every one of you who passes judgment for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself or you practice the same things. See, it's easy for us to say, look at them people over there. I could really fix that, that mess up. But we need to get a mirror out and look at our own self. Look at our own self and realize that the mess we're in may not be a work of the devil. It may just be a work of God It's trying to bring us to our knees and realize can't do it without him. I got to have him. I can't do it like this. Because for far too long, especially in the last few years, the church in general has took a big hit. And we have, as a nation and as Christians, we think we can put God on the back burner and we think he's going to be cool with it. That ain't the God I serve. That ain't the God in the Bible. The God we serve is a jealous God. He is passionate about his relationship with us. He doesn't want to share us with anybody else. 
That's when he, when he calls, in the, in the scripture, he calls Christians who are friends of the world, he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. He said, basically what you're doing is you're committing adultery on me. You're stepping out on me when I'm the one that saved you. I'm the one that's bought you with a price. And since I bought you with a price, guess what? I deserve your total allegiance. I deserve total loyalty. It comes to me. Now, let me show you this. Last week, if you were here, we talked, we mentioned that baseball player last week. Remember that? That he had made a stand against the uh, trans movement, the LGBTQ movement. So he made a post and all of a sudden uh, they made him apologize. Talk about that last week. Well, of course, he, he caved to the pressure. Well, here's the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. This week, he got cut. Even after backpedaling and bowing down to the culture, they still said, it's not enough. There was a man right there that could have stood for the gospel and said, this is what I believe. And if it costs me my job, so be it. But he still bowed to the pressure and still lost his job. Now, you know what that means to me, or what that tells me? If this guy's really a Christian, God is saying, oh, you think you're going to keep your job like that? I'll just take your job anyway. Could be. Could be. And we got to understand something. The mess that we are in today as a nation, it's probably because we have exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God for gods of our own making. And we are serving things that can't bring us peace, it can't bring us joy, it can't save us, and yet we think somehow, some way, that those things is what we need. And so we start pursuing those things and we try to leave God behind and forget about him. And God just laughs like he said in Psalms chapter 2 and says, oh, that's funny that you can't get away from me. You can't do life without me. And so we see here, this is the reason why foundations are crumbling is because we have forsaken God. We have committed idolatry. We've got things in our life. We know they are. We, 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 we treat them more important than God. And if God is who he says he is, and you're a child of God, he won't stand for it. He won't stand for it. He will turn you over to your desires and you'll begin to reap those things you've sown and it'll make you fall on your knees and say, you know what, God, I need to get back to you because this is the, this is the remedy right here. Go back to verse 16. We didn't read this, but it's at the first. Look what he says here. This is the remedy of the situation if God has no longer been a priority in your life, number one. Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
Now, there's a lot of things I'm ashamed of. I'm ashamed of our government. I'm ashamed of our country. I'm ashamed of politicians. I'm ashamed of a lot of stuff. But as a child of God, we cannot be ashamed of the gospel because it is the gospel that saves us. It is the gospel that saves people. He says, for it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation. And so the gospel is God's power to change men's life. And let me tell you something. Who's the gospel for? It's for everyone who believes. That's the good news. Then in the midst of this world we're living in, a sin-sick world where things are crumbling left and right, Guess what the answer is? The answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He hung on a cross. He took my sin. He took your sin. He bore our sin. And if we will put our faith and trust in him, guess what? He will forgive us because as I said last week, your sin is going to be either one or two places. It's going to be punished in hell or it's going to be pardoned by Christ on the cross. Why wouldn't you turn to Christ? Two more verses and I'm going to close. So again, I want to read two scriptures we're all very familiar with. And remember, what we said, the root cause, number one is this, it's idolatry. When we exchange God, we trade gods for something else, then we get the fruit of our labors. And it's not pretty. Solomon, after he rebuilds the temple, or builds a temple, they begin to have a big, a big celebration. And as they're, after, during the celebration, Solomon begins to pray to God, and he prays to God about his blessing upon the people of God and the temple of God. And then Solomon says something to this effect, Lord, if... If your people turn away from you and forsake you and go after other gods. And if we come back and pray to this place, will you hear us? Will you hear us? And let me tell you something. Let me tell you how quick idolatry sets in. In Exodus 20, and I'll get back to this for a second. Exodus chapter 20, or Exodus few verses, chapter 4 there, when God tells Moses to go up to the mountain, he's going to give him the Ten Commandments. Here's people that saw the Red Sea open. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And Moses is gone for 40 days, and what does is, what is God's people do? They tell Aaron, we don't know what happened to this guy, Moses. Won't you make us an idol? And Aaron gets everybody to get their rings and he fashions a golden calf, and then when the calf comes out, the people of God say, this is what brought us out. That's how fast people can get into idolatry. So you got to always be, Paul would say, flee from idolatry. Run from it. Anything in your life that tries to take the place of God, you need to run from it. Because it's easy to fall into that. But back to Solomon. God replies to Solomon and says this. We all know this scripture. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Now listen, it takes humility to admit, God, I have 
I've put you on the back burner. I've, I've, I've tried to do life without you. We've tried to do this family thing without you, Lord. <clears throat> we haven't put you first and everything. He says, if you will do that, pray, seek my face, <clears throat> turn from your wicked ways. What's he say he'll do? <clears throat> then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And I'll heal their land. I believe you could take land out there and wouldn't do any disservice to scripture and say, I'll heal your marriages. <clears throat> if you'll turn from your wicked ways, I'll heal your families. I'll heal what's broken in your life. I'll heal what's messed up. But the thing is this, and I'll say this, this is how messed up psychology is or counseling is nowadays. If you can find a good counselor, they're probably about a half a percent good counselors out there, good Christian counselors. But counseling nowadays will tell you this. A counselor will say, the problem is out there and the solution is in here. That's what they'll tell you. You got to find yourself. You got to discover the answer in here. Absolutely not. God's word says the problem's in here. The answer's out there, God. That's the answer. The answer is God to our misery. It's God to our affliction. It's God to our mess. And if we will return to God, he'll return to us. If we will humble ourselves, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways, he says, I'll heal you. I'll heal you. I'll heal you. Jesus says something similar in Matthew 6 and 33. He said this. But seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness and all these other things, he'll be added or will be taken care of. It's not our job to seek things. It's our job to seek God and then let God take care of everything else. You got one job, one job to do. Put God first. Put God first. Let him be the center of your life. Honor him as God. Be thankful to him as God. Ask yourself this question. Let's be honest, because this right here is like a mirror. The Bible is a mirror. What is the most important thing in your life right now? What consumes you? What are you seeking after? And if it's anything other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you have fallen into idolatry. Simple as that. He's got to be first. He's got to be foremost in our life. And when we try to do things too long without him, thinking he's going to bless what we're doing. And a lot of us, what we are experiencing is because God has given us up to our desires. And he said, oh, you want that new, you got to have that job with that 50% increase? Have at it. And then you're miserable. You're hanging around people that ain't godly at all. You understand what I'm saying? 
when you get your desires out of line with his word, you better be careful because he may just give you what you ask for. And so when God does that, it's to bring us back to our knees. And maybe, just maybe, your grandchildren are in the mess they're in, not because the devil's doing it, because God is working on them and bringing them back to him. Making them wake up to their senses. So I want to spend the next few moments in a time of prayer asking God to forgive us, asking God to help us seek him first and let him become the center of everything in our lives, become the center of our marriage, become the center of our family. Get back to God, and if you will get back to God, he will work in your life.